present. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see a different law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity under the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, who shall deliver me out of the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I have myself with the mind indeed serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So one idea is that this is, go ahead, Drew. I just wanted to say, Scott, I just, I started the recording a little late. So I just want to repeat that we're we're reading from Romans chapter six, right? Romans chapter seven. I'm sorry, seven, right. Okay. So the, the, the fellow here, he talked about being dead and I don't think we read that verse. But it talked about here in verse 9, I was alive apart from the law once when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And then he talks about being sold under sin, verse 14. We know the law is spiritual. I am carnal, sold under sin, etc. And the law of uh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me out of the body of this death? So who is this man? One idea is that this is Paul. This is Paul as a Christian. And what are some of the reasons why it might seem logical to say that this is Paul talking about himself as a Christian? Well, he's speaking in the first person, so he keeps saying, I, me. Yeah. Uh, the, The epistle of Romans was written to the Romans from Paul. So when he says, I, in chapter one, when he says, I wanted to come to you, but I hadn't been able to yet, who was he talking about? talking about him. Yeah, the Apostle Paul is a Christian. And so that's a natural point in favor of taking this, that it's Paul as a Christian. What's another point in favor of saying that this is Paul as a Christian? Hmm. How about the fact that part of the time, at least, he is speaking in the present tense. Mm -hmm. He says, the good that I would, not that I did. And he says, I find and so mm-hmm. if it's I in the first person and in the present, it would normally make sense to assume that's Paul talking about himself right now. And how many of us can relate to at times feeling the frustration of the good thing that I wanted to do is not what I did. And the bad thing that I didn't want to do is what I ended up doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so those three things together, uh, a lot of people just assume this is Paul talking about himself as a Christian. What are some reasons it would point in a different direction, and what other direction would there be? Well, the things that Paul says, um, it seems to contradict what he just got been talking about, what a Christian needs to do in Romans chapter 6. So if yeah. you go back to Romans chapter six, he's talking about his members only doing evil. He's talking about um, he doesn't have control over himself, that he's sold under seven. sin. You said six, but you're talking about seven now. Right. Yeah. In chapter seven, he's saying all of that. In chapter six, he says that's not what a Christian does. Right. Um, Take through a few of those verses, please, Jonathan. Yeah. So you go back to chapter six and he starts off chapter six, verse one, by saying, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he goes on to talk about baptism and being putting the old man to death and being made a new creature. So you're not no longer sold under sin. You, you're freed from sin. You're living this new life. And more than that, 
down in verse 12, he says, let not sin. This is chapter six, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought uh, bought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Um, so, I mean, he makes it really clear. There's this transition when you become a Christian, you're no longer sold under sin. You're no longer presenting your members uh, to unrighteousness, but rather the opposite. You're doing righteous deeds. You're following God. You're set free and all these types of things. Right. Drew. Drew. Sorry, I didn't mute it. So what you're saying is the confusion or the misunderstanding coming in that people will take chapter 7 and use that as an excuse to continue in sin? Some people do. Others aren't trying to use it as an excuse. They just misunderstand what the passage is talking about. Hmm. But I have, you do see people that will sometimes say, you know, like maybe they'll be talking about an addiction. And uh, I remember one time, he didn't quote this passage, but I remember one time hearing a brother say, you know, we all, this is a young man, we all watch porn. We, we've all got this problem and we will probably all have it until we get married, which is very foolish because there's plenty of married men who allowed themselves to get addicted to porn and then they got married and what happened? They stayed addicted to porn. Uh, but you might have somebody else say, well, then we're like Paul, you know, because the good thing that he wanted to do, he, he couldn't do, and the bad stuff is what he did. So with our mind, we wish it was different, but this is the way it is. But as, and I, go ahead, John. I, skipped over, I skipped over the verse, too, because I, I made the statement that but Paul makes it really clear when you become a Christian, you're set free from sin. It seems kind of odd that he'd go back in chapter 7 and say, I'm still sold under sin where Paul's a Christian. But he explicitly says you're set free from sin in Romans 6, verse 22. Well, verse 20, he says, you were slaves of sin and you were free in regard to righteousness. Uh, then in verse 22 of chapter 6, he says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit of your or the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in his eternal life. That's so he explicitly says you've been set free. Right. He and he, it's in contrast to when you were captive to sin and when you were under the law now you're set free but when we're in chapter 7 he's back to talking about captivity verse 23 from chapter 7 i see a different law in my members warring against the law of my mind bringing me into captivity captivity is not the same thing as freedom so with that introduction let's go ahead and get started and let's go to the next chart this is really significant Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Verse 5 and verse 6 of Romans chapter 7 are an initial statements that serve as an outline for the upcoming parts of chapter 7 and the upcoming part of chapter 8. For example, somebody read here verse 5. From This is Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Okay, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Okay. Is verse five talking about a Christian being led by the spirit and made free in the blood of Christ? No, it's saying no. while we were in the flesh, which is right, 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 right. And what are some of the key nouns in verse five? Um, Sinful passions. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Sinful passions, law, law. our members. Flesh, um, death. So remember those things. Flesh, sin, law, death. And watch for those type of words to show up all through chapter 7. Click on our chart here. So 7, 7 through 25 is pointing back and describing what had been introduced in verse 5. Now, let's go to verse 6. But now we have been discharged from the law, having died to that wherein we were held, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit. Now, watch how that matches up with chapter 8. Somebody start reading chapter 8, verse 1. Says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Yeah, so you see the now in 7 6, mm-hmm. compare that to the now in 8 1. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and he talks about um, the Spirit over and over in chapter 8. In fact, Romans chapter 8 is the main chapter where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over. And it continues there there in verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ made me free from the law of sin and death. So keep this in mind as we look through this. 7, 5, and 7, 6 are talking about two different things. 5 and 6 are not talking about the same thing, two different things. 5, back when we were in the flesh under the law, dead. Six, now in Christ and walking in the spirit. Seven, five, now he's going to, starting in verse seven, he's going to develop these two points. So with that in mind, somebody start reading in uh, chapter seven, begin reading in verse seven. Okay, I got so, it. Go ahead, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Keep going, please. Oh, okay, sorry. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and I've got to shut that off. Sorry about that. (laughs) Thought I had that on silent. Uh, Deceived me, and through it, killed me. You want me to keep going? All right. Was that to the end of verse 11? Yeah. Yep. That's a good place to stop. Can we see that he's talking about the same thing he said in verse 5? Talking about what? Can we see that that's talking about the same thing he mentioned in verse 5? Yeah, absolutely. He's talking about the law. He's talking about his passions, his sinful passions. He's talking about the death that's come about because of that. Yeah, what Drew just read is an expansion of these words. When we were in the flesh, sinful passions, which were through the law, wrought in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That's what he's describing in 7 through 11. And it continues. Uh, In verse 12, so is it that the law is bad? No, verse 12 says, no, the law was holy and the commandment holy and righteous and good. Did then that which is good become death to me? God forbid, but sin that it might be shown to be sin by working death to me through that which is good, 
that through the commandment, sin might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh, sold under sin, flesh. carnal, sold under sin. Now, and then he describes the, the problem of it. For that which I do, I know not. That which I would, for not that which I would, that do I practice, but what I hate that I do. But that which I would not, that I do. I consent to the law that it is good. Uh, so it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Uh, and he goes on to talk about this struggle, this captivity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This 7 through 25 is an expansion of 7 verse 5. When we were in the flesh, sinful passions through the law wrought in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Chapter 8 is an expansion of verse 6 there on the screen. Listen to this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Was the guy in chapter 7 condemned? Yes. Yeah. Read me a couple of statements in chapter 7 that express the guy in 7 being condemned. Uh, verse 10, the commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Yeah. And verse 14, he's sold under sin. Yeah. And then he's a captive in verse 23. But chapter 8, no, no, here's something new in chapter 8. There's now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life, see not death, but now life in Christ Jesus, made me free from the law of sin and death. Uh, and, and continuing, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the... Verse 3. For what the law could not do... Weak by the flesh. Yeah. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And what's, what's the purpose and goal here? That the ordinance of the law might be... Fulfilled in us. Fulfilled in us, not failed in us, but fulfilled in us, who instead of walking by the flesh, walk how? Yeah. For those that are after the flesh, of course, they're going to mind fleshly things, but those that are after the spirit are going to mind what? Spiritual things of the spirit. Yeah. Because the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. The mind of the flesh is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Those that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. Yes. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Verse 12. So we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Because if you do, verse 13, if you do live after the flesh, what are you going to do? You'll die. You'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the spirit, you'll live. So as many as are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. You haven't received the spirit of bondage unto fear. You've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So it's just a huge contrast. 7 through 25 is an expansion of verse 5. 8, 1 through following is an expansion of 7, 6. Go ahead, Drew. Um, you know how sometimes Bibles have a little statement about the subject matter. It'll be a title referring to yes. what's going on. Well, in the, I'm using the uh, New American Standard, and this version above verse 14 in chapter 7, the title says, The Conflict of Two Natures. And I 
often or used to think, well, he's talking about that we constantly have two natures within us that are battling each other. But I'm starting to get an understanding that that's not exactly what he's saying. There is a battle um, of flesh against spirit, but the Christian can't be on the flesh side. He's got to be on the spirit side. This Romans 8 is paralleled by Galatians 5. They're the only passages anywhere in the New Testament where it talks about Christians being led by the Spirit. And they're saying the same thing. And in Galatians 5, it talks about the conflict between flesh and spirit. But it doesn't say, give up, don't hope, because you're going to walk in the flesh. No, Galatians 5 says, don't walk in the flesh, and it gives the works of the flesh. What are the works of the flesh? Adultery. Uh, Sexual immorality. Yeah. Uh, wraths, jealousies, don't walk in the flesh. And he says, because I forewarned you, if you walk in these things, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 7 is talking about somebody who practices these things. That's not somebody inheriting the kingdom of God. So Romans 8, it talks, and uh, Galatians 5, it talks about these two natures. But if we want to be in Christ, if we're going to be led by the spirit, we can't be walking in that flesh one. Uh, and so Galatians 5 says, don't walk in the flesh, because if you do, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Instead, you be led by the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So, And that doesn't mean we will never, ever fail. First John addresses that. But this description, chapter 7, is not somebody walking in the light that occasionally fails. This is somebody walking in darkness. Let's see the go to the next chart. We'll make it clear. So, is the man of Romans seven dead or alive? Somebody read verse ten and eleven. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Yeah, dead. Yeah, so that guy's dead. All right. Next point. Is man of Romans 7 sold under sin or redeemed? And our text is verse 14. Somebody read that, please. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Okay. Yeah, that's not a redeemed guy. That's a sold under sin guy. Next question. Is the guy of chapter 7 captive or free? And our text is verse 23. For I joyfully concur that the law of God in the inner man, but I see a a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Is that a free guy or a captive guy? That's captive. Yep. All right. Our next point. Is this guy in chapter 7 practicing evil or practicing righteousness? Our verse is 19. For I do not know the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. He's practicing evil. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, what's he using his members for? Is he using his members to serve sin, or is he using his members as instruments of righteousness? And our text is 23 and 24b. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Well, that's the question we want to know, the answer to. And this guy, he's using his members to serve flesh. So just look at that chart there. Does that 
look like a Christian. No. No. And let's, let's touch on this. All of us at times are weak and all of us sometimes have failed. And so sometimes we can relate to at that point, I practiced evil. At that point, I wasn't acting, you know, like uh, the things on the right, etc. And so we might say, yeah, I can relate to this. But this is not just a person who has occasionally failed. This is a dead person, sold under sin, still captive, practicing evil, etc., etc. We're going to look in a few minutes at a verse that talks about Paul's battle, and Paul has to battle, but Paul battles victoriously in Christ and walking with the Spirit and forgiven by the blood of Christ. This guy is not victorious. There's a difference between a guy that's battling and he's on the winning side and he's being victorious despite an occasional setback and a defeated guy. The guy in chapter seven is a defeated guy. Let's yeah, and, go ahead, Jonathan. And at the end of Romans chapter eight, the way that Paul describes, um, and, and I don't think we're going to get this far, so I'll just, I'll just bring it up in verse 37. Um, he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He describes the, the Christian as a conqueror, more than a conqueror through Jesus' yeah. power. Um, and he, and he talks that he talks about that in a lot of his different epistles that he writes in Philippians. Um, he talks about that, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And there are different contexts to those things, but it's not the, the mentality of Christians sometimes. And that we can have is we do fail. We do fall short. Sometimes we do fall into the darkness when we should be walking in the light. And our immediate thought is, well, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Or, well, we all have problems or stuff like right. that. But Paul is saying, no, no, we're more than conquerors. We, we, need to, we need to fight. We need to be alive. We need to be practicing righteousness, presenting ourselves, our members, as instruments of righteousness. So a good parallel to keep in mind is in 1 John. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, in God is no darkness. In other words, in God is no sin. Sin. Yeah. Then verse 6 describes a guy who claims to have fellowship with God, but where is he walking? In darkness. Walking in darkness. And John says when he claims to have fellowship with God, he's speaking a, a lie. Because he's not. He's walking in darkness. Then verse 7 describes a guy that walks in the light. Mm-hmm. And he's in fellowship with other Christians. And what cleanses him from all of his sins? The blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean he lives a life of perfection, that he never does anything wrong. Yeah, because in fact, in chapter two, Jesus cleanses him. And then the next verse says, if he claims to have no sin, he's deceiving who? He's deceiving himself. Yeah. And then verse nine says, what does he do when he does sin? He does what? Wrote first John uh, if we confess our sin he's faithful and right to forgive us so the guy in verse six is walking in sin he's captive of sin he's a slave of sin he's continuing in sin that guy does not have jesus christ he's not in fellowship there's no forgiveness this other guy he walks in the light now if he claims oh i never ever sin no don't claim that but that is he walks in the light when he sins he confesses his sin he's repented that he confesses, he walks in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses this guy. 
So it's not that it means the Christian never needs the blood of Christ, but the Christian, that's where he walks. He walks in the light with Jesus, not allowing himself to be this condemned captive. Go ahead. Uh, Scott, I'm, I'm impressed with Jonathan. You read that, uh, that statement in, in the end of chapter eight, more than conquerors. And that's always intrigued me because if you're a conqueror, what else is there to do? And what else is there to celebrate? Like, well, what do conquerors do? Well, when conquerors conquer an enemy in war, they go home. And then they go home and be the way they were, live in life and luxury the way they were, whatever it was. But being more than conquerors means, I, unless I'm making more of it than it's there, it's not just winning the battle, it's pursuing on even further. Is that making too much of that? Well, it's kind of similar to what Paul says in the verse. I think we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 9 whenever he's talking about his own discipline and 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 the battle that he has within himself. It's kind of similar to that. But also, we're still in a war. <laughs> Um, we, Jesus, Jesus has died for our sins. He's forgiven us of our sins. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but we're still clearly in a war. Ephesians chapter six, we need to put on the armor of God, and constantly be fighting against all these things that are pulling us. All right. Let's get back to our charts here. Cause we're, I see we're at uh, the bottom of half hour here coming up. So let's get through the rest of these charts. So we saw that the guy in chapter seven was dead, captive, et cetera, et cetera. From Paul's words in Romans is a saved man in Christ that back up, sorry, back up. Let's uh, just glance at that previous chart real quickly. Remember the man of seven was dead, not alive, captive, sold under sin, not redeemed, captive, not free, practicing evil, not righteousness, <clears throat> and using his members for purposes of the flesh, not righteousness. That was the guy in chapter seven. Amen. Amen. That's right. Now, from Paul's own teachings in the book of Romans is a saved man in Christ dead or alive. He's alive. Well, he's alive. Yeah. Romans chapter six that uh, Jonathan already took us for. We were buried therefore with him into death that like as Christ was raised from death. So through the glory of the father. So we also might walk in newness of life. life. Uh, verse 11, you're dead to sin. You're alive unto God in Christ. All right, so is the Christian sold under sin or redeemed? He's redeemed. Yeah, Romans 3.24. Yeah, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Yeah, yeah. And then the next point, is the saved man in Christ captive or free? He's free. Yeah. He's been set the, free from sin. Yeah, just a few sentences before, Paul had talked about in chapter 6, uh, verse 17, thanks be to God, whereas you were servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching whereunto you were delivered and being made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. So he's free, the man of uh, Christ. All right, our next point, is he practicing evil or practicing righteousness? Uh, chapter two, you know, and then eight, four. Eight, four is a good one for this one. Uh, so that the bondage, so that the ordinance law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk after the flesh but after the spirit. And lastly, is the same, the guy in chapter seven used his members for the flesh, sin, sinful flesh, uh, sins of the flesh. But Romans 6, 11 through 19, that Jonathan already read for us said, uh, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't obey the lesser of, don't present your members unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present your members unto God as alive from the dead and your members 
as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So it's obvious when we start looking at the contrast, Romans 7 is not the saved man in Christ. It is diametrically the opposite of what Paul had just said the man in Christ is. Let's go to the next. There's a comment that came in before you go there. Um, okay. German Ortiz, he said that we are more than conquerors. We are kings and priests. A conqueror wins a battle, etc. but a king reigns over it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, very good. All right. Notice also the, the, the realms of these two texts. In chapter 5, do you see there how many times is chapter, see the highlighted words, is that Christ in the Spirit? No. It's no, in the, chapter 7, it's the law, yeah, it's the law, the commandment, um, the law, law of sin, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and you see again, that's the development of verse 5, because verse 5 had said, when we were in the flesh, sinful passions, which were through the law wrought in our members to bring forth death. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit here. There's no mention of Jesus except once. And that one time is what has really confused people. It's down here at the bottom. This is the only reference to Christ. And so right before it, it says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And that there can make it sound like this is just Paul in Christ saying, wow, I'm a real mess. I'm a captive of sin. I don't do good things. I do evil things. I, 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 I just, that's what I do is I just do evil. I wish in my mind it was different, but my, in my mind, I imagine serving Christ, but in my body, I just sin, 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 sin. Wretched man that I am, who's going to live me? Well, Jesus will, and so I'll just keep serving sin with my body, but in my mind, I'll think about God. And that's how some people read this. That's mm -hmm. not, or that's what somebody might think. And you, because Jesus is there still in this section, you might think that. But notice, click on our next chart, that's pointing to a future solution. Mm-hmm wretched man that I am who will deliver me from the body of death. He's yep. been describing the person who's trapped under law, who's a captive, who's dead, et cetera, et cetera. And he's asking the question, who's going to deliver me? Well, he jumps ahead kind of parenthetically and mentions the answer. Oh, Jesus, that's who will. All right. And Paul himself, Paul himself has already been delivered from his body of death. Um, he's yeah. He's already been a Christian, already had his sins forgiven. Did you say that's a rhetorical question then? Because um, he, yeah, he, yeah, he, I guess you could call it kind of a rhetorical question. Yeah. And he, he's pointing ahead to the solution that then he'll develop starting in 8 1. There's no con now, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, which is where he's at. But back in chapter 7, He's been speaking in the first person and often in the present tense, just kind of describing a Jew trapped under the law. But then, well, who can deliver you from this? I'll tell you who Jesus has one more verse describing where he's at now and then switches to now in Christ we have this. Now, mm -hmm. look at chapter 8. Remember chapter 7 was all about law and commandment, law and commandment, law, 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 command, 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 command. 
Look at chapter 8. Christ Jesus, the Spirit, Christ Jesus, his Son, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Christ, Spirit, Jesus, Christ Jesus, his Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. You see how that's totally different realms? What a contrast. Yeah. Chapter 7 is not a guy in Jesus Christ walking by the Spirit. He's a wretched man, dead and trapped and captive under sin, who will deliver him. Well, Jesus, Jesus will. And then chapter 8 describes now in Jesus what you have. Next chart. Do we have? Oh, yeah. So in chapter 7, he was dead, sold under sin, captive, practicing evil, members of in service of sin. Can we see that that is an expansion of 7 verse 5? Somebody yep. read 7 verse 5 for us again. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were through the law wrought in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. And then chapter 8 is going to describe no condemnation, life, free from the law of sin and death. Ordinances are fulfilled in us because we're not walking in the flesh but in the spirit. Can we see that that is a development of 7 6? Mm-hmm. Now we have been discharged from the law having died unto that wherein we were held, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. So really, when you read 7.5, let's back up just a second. When you read 7.5 and 7.6, you're seeing a microcosm of the rest of 7 in chapter 8. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. Now let's go to the next, our last chart. Observational note. Do Christians face temptations, fight battles, and have failings and need forgiveness? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so somebody read First John 1, 7 through in the chapter, please. You got that, John? John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, does a Christian need to confess his sins? Clearly, yeah. Yeah. Does he need to walk in the light? Yep. Yeah. Should he claim that he's perfect and never needs grace? No. 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 Uh, but the guy in verse six is something different. Read verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So let me give an illustration, uh, of that I like to use to illustrate the difference between six and seven. Two little boys are walking to school. Okay. They got six blocks to get to school and there's a street and there's some grass and there's a curb. Boy number one decides he wants to walk on the curb. Now, which would be easier, to walk in the gutter or walk on the curb? Gutter. Walk in the gutter. Yeah, but he's resolved to walk on the curb. He and his cousin, they both decide they're going to walk on the curb. They start walking. Within a few steps, they both stumble. Boy number one is determined, no, I'm not going to walk in the gutter, I'm going to walk on the curb. So when he stumbles, what does he do with his feet? Puts him back up there. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to stay in the gutter. He gets back up and continues his walk 
on the curb. His cousin slips and stumbles into the gutter and notices there's a beer can to kick. Notices there's some, you know, leaves to rustle through. Notices there's a puddle to splash in. (coughs) And he decides he likes the gutter. So he doesn't get back up on the curb. He just keeps walking in the gutter. Now, first cousin, he continues walking on the curb, walking on the curb, walking on the curb. Maybe he looks back to see if the little girl he likes is noticing what a good job he's doing of walking on the curb <laughs> and, and not concentrating on his walk. What's he going to do? Oh, yep, yep. Lands in the gutter. Then he, he does what? He realizes, oops. Need to get back up. Yeah. Need to get, and stop focusing on what other people think of me and focus on, I'm going to do what I need to do. Now, over those six blocks, there will be times when he stumbles and gets in the gutter. But when he gets to the school, where did he walk? Walk on the curb. Yes. The other boy fell in the gutter, decided he wanted to stay there. Where did he walk? Walked in the gutter. So with that picture in mind, let's read verse six and seven again. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous. Forgive our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And then it goes on and says in chapter 2 that we need to obey his commandments. Verse 3, we know him. Here's how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar. Um, Verse 6, he that abides in him ought to walk as he walked. All right, so coming back to this idea of the battle, though, yeah, there's a battle. We battled, Paul battled, and here's some places where Paul talks about the battle. Somebody read 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, and this is in the context where he's using the illustration of the Isthmian Games, uh, similar to the Olympics. And he's talking about the winners that receive the prize. Does Paul want to be one of the winners that receives a prize? Yes. So he uses self-control. He disciplines himself. There's a battle to be fought, but Paul is not the defeated, walking in darkness, captive of sin. He's fighting a battle, and, and he's, he's gonna, he conquers in Christ. Also, 2 Corinthians 10, we have a battle, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things. Ephesians says, put on the full armor of God. Um, and, and in Philippians 3, somebody read the language he uses in the last part of Philippians 3 about pressing on. Uh, he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if you want to go to verses that show that Paul needed to strain forward to buffet his body 
to, you know, to put on the armor of God and, and, and face battles, go to these verses. Don't go to Romans 7, because Romans 7 is Paul personifying verse 5, when we were in the flesh being captives of sin. The man in chapter 7 isn't just battling sin. He's defeated. He's taken captive. He's conquered. He's a servant of sin. And we need to stop telling people that that's the life of the person in Christ. The man of Romans 7 is not the man of Romans 8. We need to be the man of Romans 8. Final thoughts. Now, is that person in 7 uh, not necessarily referring to someone who never came to Christ, but it's the man who came to Christ and is failing? No. Uh, chapter 7 is not talking about somebody who'd ever been a Christian. Good. Man, I'm not, seven, I'm not, let me clarify that. Yeah, in, in verse 5, it was when we were under the law. Right. All of the Jew, a lot of people is writing to were Jews, talking about under the law, all those laws and 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 different things. It was talking about um, a person, a Jew, trapped under Jewish law. And who's going to deliver him from this battle of death? Um, <clears throat> chapter 8 is the person in Christ. Very good. Very Any good. final thoughts? Nope. All right. Thanks. Good, good, good. Yeah, good job. Thank you very much, Scott. I want to invite everyone back next Tuesday. Um, I want to thank you for the comment we got in today. Um, but uh, we invite everyone to comment. Give us comments. And it's back. Go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form on that page if you have a particular question or subject you want us to talk about. Anything else, fellas, before we go? Thank you, everybody. Thank you. See you next week.